Welcome to The Margin Line, a dental business show by Dandy. I'm Dr. Barry Bartusiak, and with us today is Dr. Peter Chen. And my goodness, what a treat we have for you today. He's a dentist. Then he became an orthodontist, and oh, by the way, he got an MBA. So much for us to gain in knowledge today. Dr. Peter Chen, welcome to The Margin Line. Thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and um, I got lots of uh, exciting stuff to share with your audience. Great. So let's go backwards a second before we uh, dive into uh, the, the big nuggets here of knowledge. So why dental school? Why a dentist? I mean, that all started when I was uh, in college. Um, I was a confused college student, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, at first, I was pre-law, then I was pre-med and um, uh, you know, majored in philosophy in college. So I was all over the place. Uh, then one day I decided to have a chat with my mom about, you know, what I should do with my future career. And like any good mother, she suggested that I shadow her dentist, uh, who drives the nicest cars and has the biggest house, you know, um, uh, in the neighborhood. So I went to uh, visit, shadowed him for a summer. We really hit it off and he actually became one of my first mentors. Um, and, uh, that summer I decided to uh, apply to dental school and, and the rest is history. So you, you go to dental school and then was it right away into ortho school? What made you go into ortho? Yeah, so that was more of the um, the clinical aspect. Uh, so during third year, we uh, shadowed, you know, went to endo, went to ortho, shadowed in oral surgery, right? Did our rotations um, through all these specialties. And it was like the engineering component of orthodontics that really piqued my interest. Um, uh, you know, doing different types of appliances to fix malocclusions and uh, fixing bites really got me interested. So decided to uh, go for orthodontics and uh, here I am. So the philosophy major in college had this uh, latent engineering uh, aspect that really, so that's kicked it off for you, right? Plus the science with uh, all of the dentistry and some artistry, correct? Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, philosophy, uh, I had a lot of uh, people question my choice of major in, in college, um, uh, you know, friends, uh, parents, uh, you know, if you're going to be a doctor or if you're going to be a lawyer, why uh, are you majoring in philosophy, right? You should study something more, more practical, go major in biology or, or something. Um, but what philosophy did was it taught me two very critical skills that I think um, have helped me throughout my career. Um, one is how to think and the other is how to write. And those two have been immensely helpful, um, not only through dental school, but also through residency and through um, uh, my career so far as well. Dentist, orthodontist, MBA, how did that occur? So, so during dental school, I managed to squeeze in an MBA during nights and weekends, right? As if uh, dental school wasn't stressful enough. I always knew, um, because thanks again to my mentor, that I knew business was just as critical for dentistry as the clinical aspect is, right? So um, uh, when I started dental school, during the first week in orientation, um, the uh, Dean of Education came in and presented to us, the whole class, a unique opportunity uh, that they were just starting to roll out. It was a combined DDS and MBA dual degree program that we could finish in four or maybe five years, depending on how we wanted to structure the, um, the curriculum. And all we had to do was take the GMAT, apply, and we would get in and tuition would be covered. So I knew right away business, you know, is usually not taught in dental schools and I knew how important it is. So went ahead and um, uh, went for the MBA program and, uh, and got the MBA simultaneously in the four years with the dental degree. 
as you look back, what's one thing that you were maybe walking across the stage of dental school uh, graduation, you have an MBA in hand and a dental degree in hand. What's the dream then? Uh, once I graduated, I immediately knew that I wanted to get into practice. Um, uh, you know, being an associate, maybe it's like short term, but uh, I always knew I wanted to be a large practice owner, possibly a multi um, uh, location and, you know, chain uh, dental practice owner. So graduated residency. Um, first, I have to uh, learn how to actually practice orthodontics, right? Because uh, in dental school and uh, I think in, in residency, you're only really taught the minimums. Right to um, uh, how not to kill anybody, uh, you know, is, is the way I, I phrase it. Right, um, any of the advanced stuff or how to be a good dentist. Right, um, the business aspects of dentistry, all that you have to learn on your own. You know, I didn't want to start my practice right away. I wanted to uh, work as an associate for a year or two and gain some clinical uh, experience and kind of I learned the nuances of how to run a orthodontic practice. Uh, before I went out and um, started to practice my own. So after associateship, you started your own practice. How did that go? Yeah. So after associateship for about a year, I started looking and building my business plan to uh, start my own practice. Um, I looked at potentially acquiring practices or starting a practice de novo, right? Um, I went to see many, many practice over the course of a year or two, just seeing as much as I can, kind of like house shopping, right? Um, the more right. houses you see, the more sense you get of the market, you see different practices, you see, you know, you meet with different dentists and see how they operate, see how they run their practices. Um, and that taught me a lot on what kind of practice I want to run and what kind of practice I'm ultimately looking for. Um, and I had a great friend who um, I actually met in dental school and uh, we stayed connected uh, throughout residency and um, he became a pediatric dentist. And at the same time that I was looking for a practice, he was also looking for a practice. And serendipitously, we um, found a pedo ortho practice uh, that was for sale and went to visit, fell in love with the practice and uh, decided to go for it. And that was our, our first uh, practice is a, a pediatric dentistry and orthodontic practice in Scarsdale, New York. That's an amazing journey. What nugget, uh, based upon looking at all of these uh, different types of practices, would you tell a new graduate, hey, put this in your playbook? So you want to look for a practice that is either being maintained or is growing. So the kind of practice that you want to look out for or try to avoid is the kind of practices that are on the decline. So, of course, you want to look at their um, past tax returns, a minimum of three years look back uh, to see what is the trajectory of the practice. Is the gross revenues going this way or is it going this way? Right. So for the practices that are going down, you really want to dig in and figure out why, because if you decide to go for that practice and you buy it, well, that's going to be yours and you're going to be responsible for bringing it back this way. Right. And that's a lot of work. And depending on, you know, the market conditions, it may or may not be um, achievable uh, or it may be too difficult to turn that practice around. Um, so ideally, you look for a practice that is on a upward trajectory. Uh, let's say I'm a prospective buyer. What are some of those red flags that I would look for in a declining practice that say, whoa, I'm moving on? <laughs> so, um, uh, like I said, declining revenues, uh, and you want to look at the fixed costs of the practice. So you want to look at the uh, you want to look at the rent. You want to look at the payroll, right? Um, how much they're paying their staff and the kind of benefits that they're giving. Because once you take over the practice, you're 
pretty much going to be stuck with that for a while. Um, and if the revenues are declining and the fixed expenses are so high, right, you're, that's going to become your problem. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's quite difficult to turn around a sinking ship. I would say it's um, if you're looking at a practice that is uh, on a downward trajectory, I would much rather just open a practice uh, from scratch than to pick up that practice, which is um, what I did with my second practice location, which was a de novo uh, startup. So what made you go from a practice acquisition to a de novo? Because those are two different those are two different aspects. Yeah, complete different animals. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I don't um, even know if they're in the same zoo or safari. Yeah, yeah. no, no, completely different. I, I would say one is a zoo, one is a jungle. You know, if I had a choice, I think doing acquisition is still better. But of course, it comes down to the right practice, right? If you have the opportunity to um, to buy into a practice that is um, uh, that is still growing or is maintained, um, and you're confident that you're able to come in and continue growing it, or uh, you know, maintaining that practice, then I would go for the acquisition. I think that's going to put you in a much more favorable position financially, because having that cash flow right right away um, uh, really helps with uh, uh, you know the the financial aspects of, of running a practice. What were some of the biggest challenges in the de novo? In the de novo is man, there's no money, <laughs> there's no there's no patience, <laughs> right? You, you you invest months. Negotiating the lease, uh, building out the space, installing the chairs, building the website, and the first day you open, zero, nothing. You have no patience. You have no staff. You have to figure out, you know, are are you going to be answering the phones, or are you going to find somebody to help answer your phones, right? And uh, you have to, of course, be working at the time in order to support yourself. You got to pay your student loans. You still got to pay your rent or your mortgage. Um, and doing de novo startup, you got to eat, right? Feed your family, exactly. All of these expenses are still there, um, uh, but fortunately for me, I had my uh, Scarsdale practice where I was able to make a living for myself. And the de novo practice, I can just keep all the money in the practice um, and continue to reinvest that into marketing, into um, uh, you know hiring staff, training staff, right, um, installing computers, softwares, whatever it is, um, and building that practice and not have to stress about it financially. But if you are just doing a de novo startup, um, I would highly recommend that you maintain an associate position just so you have that income to uh, support yourself while you build up that practice. And hey, it's normal for uh, a brand new practice not to have um, show any income for the first two, maybe three years. So you really have to be patient with it as well. Now you're, you're, multi, you're multi-locations, three, correct? Yeah, three locations now. How do you keep that square? I mean, that in and of itself, that's quite an undertaking. Running through practices, it's, uh, I would say there was a lot to, to learn, right? Um, first, you have to set up the teams um, and the people in place, the systems in place that can almost run itself. Um, and then when uh, there are any issues that arise, which of course they always do, um, you have a system for escalation, whether it's uh, from your uh, office manager or your team leads, right? Your clinical leads, your front desk leads, right? Having that system, that structure in place really helps you to uh, manage a larger organization. So three practices and, um, uh, you know, hopefully adding a fourth soon. So what would be three things that you would tell a, a new business owner that just bought the three practices, three most important things? Uh, number one is, I think, sales. Learning sales, I think, helped me tremendously 
um, I worked in retail when uh, I was in college and, um, uh, you know, doing sales at a retail store um, and working off of commissions really taught me how to um, communicate to, to, to the customers, how to communicate value, how to build relationships, right, with, with the clients. Um, and I think that really helped me um, when I came out and uh, came into practice. Um, I had to start building relationships with my uh, patients. Uh, number two is accounting. I picked up a, a lot of accounting in uh, business school. Afterwards, once I uh, started my practice, I had to learn a lot more, right? The real world uh, of accounting. And, um, you know, you can have a, a CPA kind of looking over your books and helping to, uh, you know, manage your financials. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone is going to care about your money and your finances more than you do. So uh, I would highly recommend that you at least learn the basics. Trust your CPA, but you want to know enough that you can verify. Um, and the third skill, uh, I would say, is really learning how to develop your staff. Because um, running three practices, uh, I have over 35 employees between the three practices. Um, and staff development really is key, right? So for every team, um, I think, you know, ideally you want all A players, but that's just too hard to find, right? Um, so you need to develop a players, but also have those B players on your team. And once you find those A players, don't be afraid to invest in them. Let's talk about the team a little bit more. What specifically can you give us as guidelines or maybe some tips and tricks with regards to that? SOPs. You got to sit down. You got to write everything down. Because um, in, for my first practice, uh, for the first few months, all we were doing uh, was just verbally training staff, right? Um, and then trying to teach them to train other staff. But every now and then you'll have, um, uh, you know, one or two key staff members quit, right? And leave for other opportunities or leave to go back to school, whatever it is, right? And when they leave, now you have to train the new hires from scratch. And we did that two or three times. And we realized, you know, this is unsustainable. We can't keep spending our time doing the same things over and over again. So um, uh, then I talked to uh, some mentors and they're like, well, you got to write SOPs, right? Which stands for uh, standard operating procedures. And once you write it down, not only is it a document that you can use to um, uh, train future hires, but it also helps to organize your thoughts, right? And organize um, uh, how your business is run and putting it down on paper um, uh, was really helpful for my business. And now we have SOPs for every role, um, front desk, for our billing team, um, for our clinical team, and any new hires that come on board, we give them the SOPs and they read it, right? And whenever there's you know any questions, we'll point them to the book uh, and they can go back and, and read it and learn it on their own. So that really helped to um, make our practice and the training and staff development much more efficient. We always hear from our mentors or, or dental gurus or, or what have you. Doctor, you have to know your numbers. What would be the three most important numbers that would allow a doctor to sleep very well tonight? <laughs> well, number one is top line, your top line revenue. How much um, money is coming into your practice, right? So that is first and foremost, I think the most important, especially um, for my practice uh, where I'm really focused on growth. Right? I'm not really focused on profitability. I want to focus on growing my practice as 
quickly and as much as possible. So top line to me is, is very, very important. Um, then the second most important number would be the bottom line, which is the net um, after all expenses are paid. Okay, so after you pay your staff, after you pay your rent, after you pay, you know, your your loan, right, um, uh, your business loan, how much of it is left over for uh, your income. Um, and then I think the third most important number is, um, for me right now, is to look at the EBITDA, uh, which is the earning before interest, taxes, depreciation, uh, etc. Because... Um, uh, ultimately, you know, in order to build a multi-location practice um, and hiring other doctors to, to come in, you really have to look at that number, which is going to be the uh, income left after paying all of the expenses and the doctor's salaries to see how profitable your dental practice is as a business, not just as a practice that, you know, I'm working in necessarily. Vast array of successes, as well as your MBA background and dental background. What would you say are three warning signs that if you picked up a doctor's numbers for the month, year, et cetera, you said, hey, doc, we, we need to talk. What would those be? Um, so the first is, again, that declining revenue, right? Second would be rising expenses, right? And then the third, I would say um, you always have to check the books, too. So don't always look at the, the tax returns. You'll, you want to look at the um, you want to look at the bank accounts to make sure that the accounts, whatever's hitting the accounts matches whatever's being reported on the income. Many doctors don't know what's going on in the front desk. Right. So they they're concerned about the clinical uh, part of dentistry, which is what they were trained to do. Um, and running the clinical staff, but the front desk, they leave it to office manager or they leave it to a front desk and they entrust them to, you know, handle all of the billing, all of the bookkeeping. They'll give them the checkbook, right, to sign. Um, and uh, uh, they have no idea what's going on up there. So it's important to uh, check the bank accounts to make sure that it accurately reflects um, the, uh, the tax returns and the practice management reports. Well, we've kind of dug into the business part. Let's kind of segue that into, tell me about the mentorship program that you're doing with Dandy. You know, in residency, I always thought, and even in dental school, in residency, I thought that I was going to come out, I was going to do private practice and, um, uh, you know, be a chairside uh, dentist or orthodontist my whole career, right? Um, and I didn't realize that there was so much outside of clinical dentistry that I could do. Um, and of course, Dandy uh, being one of them. Um, so really excited to be a part of the company, leading and, and building the Clear Aligners program in addition to the Aligners mentorship program uh, that we're currently piloting. So it is a program that we're offering to uh, our customers uh, in order to uh, teach them how to um, uh, not only do the technical aspects, of, uh, perform the technical aspects of Clear Aligners, but also um, how to run a profitable, clear aligners uh, and orthodontic treatment in, in their practice. So uh, how does one become eligible for this program? Sounds great. So any one of our customers are eligible for the program. Um, uh, all you have to do is message in the chat and let us know that you're interested in the program. And once enrolled, uh, you'll, you'll get feedback on your treatment plans, um, going over uh, you know, the complexities of cases, 
Um, and you'll get access to our knowledge database with um, lots of recorded content, everything from uh, how to do a consultation for clear aligners to uh, how to do billing, right? How to uh, sell a clear aligners case um, from A to Z. Uh, you'll get access to all of that content. As a uh, general practitioner who does some orthodontics, um, I'm going in tomorrow. Tell me three things that go, Barry, you should do this case. It's a no-brainer, even in a guy like you could do it. <laughs> well, um, for any of doctors who are interested in providing clear aligners to their patients, we always recommend uh, going for the more simple cases, um, uh, focusing on anterior alignment, right, to start. Because what you want to do is you want to build that confidence. Um, you want to uh, treat a few cases, right? Have them treat out well. Have the patients leave your office happy, right? In order to, um, uh, to gain that confidence to take on some maybe more challenging cases. The top three things that you want to look for. Well, it's funny you mentioned the number three because um, at Dandy, I developed something called the rule of three, uh, which is um, a heuristic that allows our doctors to identify um, simple and predictable cases chair side that they can treat. So generally, you want to keep movements to three millimeters or less. So that means um, a crowding or spacing of three millimeters or less, right? And you can easily measure that with a perio probe. Just measure each contact and add it up. Um, you want to keep overjet reductions to about three millimeters or less. And you want to keep midline corrections to around three millimeters or less. Okay, so if you can keep it within the rule of three, then uh, those types of cases you can treat reasonably within six months. And for slightly more complex cases, you can go up to six millimeters of crowding or six millimeters of spacing. And that can usually be treated within about 12 months. And if you're just starting out, stick with those anterior cases um, and, and stay away from the bite correction cases that often take you know a couple of years at least to, uh, to successfully treat. So what are three things that I walk in tomorrow and I, I have, and I want you on my shoulder, so to speak, Hey, Peter, should I do this case? What are the three things that you're going, no! <laughs> so the more complex cases, you really want to stay away, not only because um, they're challenging clinically, but they're often the least profitable, right? The simple cases, if you look at it from a uh, chair time perspective or the, based on the number of visits, the simple cases are always going to be much more profitable than the complex cases. And what I mean by complex cases are um, your cases with... Uh, lots of restorations, right? Posterior crowns, bridges, lots of endos, right? So those types of cases are um, going to be much more challenging to treatment plan around just because of um, sometimes there's bone loss uh, or the lack of posterior teeth for anchorage to do some um, uh, more of the complex movements. Another type of case that you probably want to avoid is um, mixed dentition cases um, and any class three cases. I think um, you generally want to stay away from because class three cases often have a skeletal component to them. Uh, and if you want to correct the class three, you often need dental extractions or surgery. So clear aligners alone uh, probably isn't going to cut it. So you want to stay away from uh, those types of cases. So let's look at this for a second. Um, I have a patient tomorrow. Somebody in our audience has a patient tomorrow. And we look at the case and we go, eh. What should I do here? Should I treat? Should I not treat? Do I just pick up the phone, so to speak, and 
call an orthodontist at Dandy? How does that work? <laughs> well, you know, at Dandy, we always provide um, uh, the support to our doctors, right? Any questions that you have, feel free to call in and any number of our uh, technical experts uh, will be available to answer uh, any of your questions. Um, but if there is a case that you're unsure, right, if uh, it's something that you can or should be treating, go ahead and take a scan. Because at Dandy, we provide you with a scanner and we also provide you with digital tools, right, where you can scan a QR code on your phone and be able to take pictures of your patient's teeth that uploads to the Dandy portal right away. Uh, and one of our experts will review the records, review the scan and the photos. Uh, and if you're part of the uh, Aligner Mentorship Program, we'll present you with a treatment plan and present you with a video review of that treatment plan going over um, uh, you know, whether a, a case is simple or difficult, how long it could potentially take, and also um, any challenges that uh, you might run into with that case. That's amazing. How long does that take to get back to me? It takes, typically. Uh, typically, you'll get the treatment plan back after uh, submission within three to four business days. Um, uh, and you'll get the video about a day or two after you receive the treatment plan. And that's reviewed by an orthodontist as well? That is reviewed currently by a U.S.-based orthodontist, either myself or uh, one, of our, um, one of my other colleagues. Combining your business and your, and your orthodontic knowledge, when should a general practitioner start to see a ROI, return on investment, into diving into a clear aligner program? Well, the great thing with clear aligners is you'll start to see ROI right away, right? Um, I mean, if you think about it, a clear aligners uh, lab fee is around thousand um, bucks, and you can charge depending on your geographic location three, four, five, six thousand dollars for a clear aligners case. I mean, in my practice in Manhattan, I charge eight thousand dollars, right, for a clear aligners um, uh, case. So. The margins are there. Um, it's very profitable. And every case that um, you're able to do it could be highly uh, profitable for your practice. Um, and even if you charge, you know, if you're starting out, I'd probably suggest that you charge a little bit on the lower end. That way you can get more cases uh, in the door, um, get more you know, patients to sign up for treatment so that you can gain that experience. Right. And um, even at, say, four thousand uh, dollars per case, if you just start one case a week, that's going to add hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue uh, to your top line, right, for your practice. What have you done? What have you found that's been successful to mushroom your practices? Uh, you're doing great. You have 35 team members. Help us understand that. So I think the biggest mistake that I see a lot of practices make is they don't invest enough in the staff, especially those A players who are on your team. So um, if you have, uh, you know, the hard workers right? Um, the ones who really bring a lot of value, a lot of energy into your practice, you really got to pay them and keep them happy so that they can continue to um, uh, you know, stay with you and help you build your practice. So what else besides pay would you say is something that is very important to mushroom that practice with your teammates? Pay and benefits, I think, is, is always number one, right? Because at the end of the day, Whoever uh, is working for you, um, uh, they need to make a living as well. If you want to keep you know, good staff long-term, you also have to get them on board with your vision, right? Where you see your practice headed. So uh, really good, um, uh, good staff, they're not just there for the income. They're there to support you, support your vision, support the practice, um, uh, and help you, you know, uh, take your practice where you want to go. Um, uh, so we meet with our team um, uh, all the time, uh, 
especially the leadership team, the uh, office managers, um, really go over you know what we have in store for the next six months, the next 12 months in order to build and grow the practice. And we're constantly reinvesting back into the practice. We're doing renovations. We're um, uh, you know buying new equipment, testing out new products, new supplies, right? Um, uh, lately, I've been looking into possibly um, doing 3D printing in my office and getting the clinical team involved in that really builds a lot of excitement into the practice, right? Because you never want to be stagnant in your practice. Because um, if you're just doing the same things over and over, um, I think a lot of staff, they could get bored pretty easily. So by having um, uh, new technology, bringing in new things into your office uh, really helps to keep that excitement and keep um, uh, good people on board. Now we're going to do something really challenging. So, you know, we're going to do what we call rapid fire. Okay. These are hard hitting 60 minute type of questions. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let's go. All right. Dog or cat? Dog. I can't ask you this one. The implant or bridge? <laughs> Doesn't apply to you. <laughs> implant. Implant all the way. <laughs> Summer or fall? Fall. Captain America or Batman? Oof. Batman. Baseball or football? Football. Beach or mountains? Mountains. New York style pizza or Chicago style pizza? You already know. <laughs> New, New York all the way. Bam. Tesla versus Harley. I drive a Tesla, so I got to go with it. <laughs> Boom. Again, stocks versus crypto. Stocks, 100%. Well, I could talk for like another four days. of <laughs> You have just been amazing. Love picking your brain. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. You've been outstanding. Thank you. And if uh, any of your audience has any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email is peter.chen at meetdandy.com. Happy to uh, answer any questions about uh, myself, my practice, um, uh, about Dandy or about our Aligners program. So gracious of you to offer that, uh, Dr. Peter Chen. So pleasurable to have you with us today and sharing your many nuggets of wisdom. Uh, I'm, I feel educated and invigorated all at once. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yep. Thank you so much.